Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April King, and I am the Associate Pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We would also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. Well, it, is, it is good to be here with you. I just have to say in the beginning, uh, thank you uh, to your pastor for letting me have his pulpit. It is a sacred territory, and so thank you, David, for that. I also want to bring uh, greetings from Ryan Yancey, who I think some of you might know. Um, Ryan is a dear friend of mine, and he has been sowing into this ministry with me. And so what I'm bringing is not just from me alone, it's also from others. And, and so Ryan would wish that I would say, hi, you're a great group of people. I'm excited to be here with you. And it's just so nice to be uh, in, a, in a place where you can just feel the sense of community and It's refreshing. I also have to make a a confession early on in the message that I've taken two of the best things out of your area. Um, About 25 years ago, I took the prettiest girl out of Exeter away. So that's my wife, Sally, who was born and bred in this area. Uh, And so I took her away and and not bringing her back. Um, But secondly, I also took probably like 20 or 30 or 40 pounds of sausage from Herb's Country Kitchen. Where did that go? That, for those of you who've been here for a while, my word, that was the greatest sausage on the planet. I've dedicated my life to touring around trying to find good sausage, and I don't think I've ever replaced what you guys used to serve here uh, in Zurich, so I miss that. 20, 30, you're probably looking at me thinking, he took more than 20 or 30 pounds, and that's probably true, so... Let's get into the Word, though. You can turn in your Bible to John uh, chapter 10 if you want. You'll be able to follow along. I'm going to bounce around with a few scriptures, but that is definitely a place that if you are doing some Sabbath study later in the day, you're going to want to go back to John chapter 10. Uh, But if we can throw that next slide up, let me just say that there is uh, in the Gospel of John a list of statements where Jesus says, I am. Uh, seven times, maybe eight if you include when he said uh, in John chapter 8, verse 58, before Abraham was, I am, which was his declaration that he was in fact God. But throughout the Gospel of John, there's a list, and let me just run through them quickly. That next slide, you'll see them. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the door. He said, I am the good shepherd, more on that, much more on that coming up. But he also said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said in John 15, I am the vine. It's an amazing list. I love the list. It's, it's, it's incredible to think of the pictures that Jesus paints for us about who he is and his heart. All of these wonderful, uh, the, the English literary folks would say similes. There's, there's a freebie. You can use that someplace today. That's similes where he compares himself to things that are inanimate objects. But there's only one metaphor in the list. There's only one thing that Jesus says, I am, and it's something that we could be too. It's something that human beings are and can be. Now, I got to say this morning, I've, I've never met a human door. 
Uh, I've never met a human loaf of bread, but I have met a shepherd. Uh, I've met those who are shepherds. And in each of my three manger scenes that I'm going to have to put up when I get home, I've got shepherds in those scenes. We've met shepherds or we've heard about shepherds. It's the only thing in the list that is something other humans could be too. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And so we're going to park on that for a while this morning, and hopefully you're going to see a bit of a linkage to the ministry that we're developing. Uh, But I find that amazing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, compared himself to a lowly shepherd. We live in a world, let me take a sidestep for a second, but we live in a world that celebrates celebrity, right? We celebrate the famous. Uh, we think about people who, are, who leave us kind of awestruck. There are actors and there are singers and there are athletes and there's the wealthy and the super successful. And if you live in Ottawa like we do, maybe even some politicians get to rise up to a bit of celebrity status. Now, agree or disagree with that last point about politicians, we tend to get excited about celebrity. And let me just suggest this morning that probably someone could walk in that back door right now that you would turn and look and go, that's so-and-so, right? We get excited sometimes about people. The opposite's also true, though. There are people who are on the other end of the spectrum that we don't get excited to see. We don't idolize or we don't honor. We wouldn't buy their team jersey for sure. We wouldn't put their poster on the wall. In some cases, we'd leave the room if they walked in, and all of you probably are thinking about who that person is. We might even cross the sidewalk if they're coming towards us. That's the opposite of the celebrity status. Well, let me just say this, that in the first century, shepherds were in that second group. Shepherds were not celebrity status. They were very much looked down upon. I I came across this quote from a pastor named Randy Alcorn, and, and just bear with me on this. It's pretty telling to unpack a bit of a picture of who shepherds were. Listen to this. He says, in Christ's day, shepherds stood on the bottom rung of the social ladder. They shared the same unenviable status as tax collectors and dung sweepers. During the time of the patriarch, shepherding was a noble occupation. In nomadic societies, everyone, whether sheik or a slave, was a shepherd. The wealthy sons of Isaac and the sons of Jacob tended flocks. Jethro, the priest of Midian, employed his daughters as shepherdesses. But when the 12 tribes of Israel migrated to Egypt, they encountered a lifestyle that was totally foreign to them. You see, the Egyptians were agriculturalists. As farmers, they despised shepherding because sheep and goats meant death to crops. Battles between farmers and shepherds are as old as as they are fierce, and the first murder in history took place between who? Between a farmer and between a shepherd, Cain and Abel. Egyptians considered sheep worthless for food and sacrifice. Egyptian art forms and historical records portray shepherds negatively. Neighboring Arabs, their enemy, were shepherds. Pharaoh's clean-shaven court looked down on the rugged shepherd sons of Jacob. And Joseph, matter-of-factly, says in Genesis 46, every shepherd is detestable to the Egyptians. In the course of 400 years of captivity, the Egyptians 
prejudiced Israel's attitude towards shepherding. Jacob's descendants became accustomed to a settled lifestyle and forgot all about their nomadic roots. After the settling in Palestine, shepherds ceased to hold its prominent position. As the Israelites acquired more and more farmland, pasturing decreased, shepherding became a menial vocation for the laboring class. Hang with me, there's a point to this. Around 1000 BC, David's emergence as king gave us a temporary reprieve for the shepherd's image. The lowliness of his trade made David's promotion striking, the writer writes. Poetic sections of the scripture record positive allusions to shepherding. Shepherding had not just lost its widespread appeal, it eventually forfeited its social acceptability. Some shepherds earned their poor reputations, but others became the victims of a cruel stereotype. The religious leaders maligned the shepherd's good name. Listen to this. Rabbis banned pasturing sheep and goats in Israel, except on the desert plains. The Mishnah, Judah's, uh, Judaism's written record of oral law, also reflects the prejudice, referring to shepherds in belittling terms. One passage describes them as incompetent. Another says, hear this, no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. Isn't that lovely? Jeremiah documents the fact that shepherds were deprived of all civil rights. They could not fulfill judicial offices or be admitted to court as witnesses. He wrote, Jeremiah said, to buy wool or milk or a kid from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption that it would have been stolen property. That's how they were viewed. And so in Jerusalem, in the time of Jesus, Jeremiah wrote, the rabbis asked with amazement, in view of how despicable the nature of shepherds was, one could explain why God was called my shepherd, left them baffled. Smug religious leaders maintain a strict caste system at the expense of shepherds and other common folk. Shepherds were officially labeled as sinners, a technical term for a class of despised people. Into this social context of religious snobbery and class prejudice, Jesus, God's Son, steps forth. How surprising and significant that the Father God handpicked lowly and unpretentious shepherds to first hear the joyous news. It's a boy. He's the Messiah. What an affront to the religious leaders who were so conspicuously absent from the divine mailing list. Even from birth, Christ moved among the lowly. It was the sinners, not the self-righteous, that he came to save. Let me just go a bit deeper with that this morning and say that Jesus loved them. Jesus loved tax collectors, wayward women, the sick, the outcasts, and all manner of sinners who were willing to come to him. I find it amazing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had a soft spot for shepherds. Think about it a little more deeply with me this morning, just for a few more minutes. The greatest baby reveal that has ever taken place in the history of the world took place and is told in Luke's gospel as God was sending the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was coming into the world. He revealed it first to the mom, makes sense, to the dad, uh, and then to an aunt and an uncle, and then probably everyone figured out something was going on with Mary as she grew. But on the day of the birth, 
On the day of the birth, the ones who heard it first and most clearly were who? The shepherds who were in the field. If we can put that slide up. Listen to what it says in in Luke's gospel. Turn with me if you want to. Luke chapter 2, let me read it. It's also on the screen. But listen to what happens in this amazing encounter between the angels and the shepherds, the lowly shepherds, the despised shepherds. Luke's gospel, chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, marginalized, living off on the edges like we heard keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. Consider how huge that is this morning. Angelic declaration allowed to come into the birthing room as the father of three kids. I can tell you moms don't let people in the birthing room, and yet in that place where Jesus was born, the first people that were allowed access into that place were who? The shepherds, the marginalized, the unacceptable, the unclean sinners, the shepherds, the first congregation of worshipers of the incarnate Son of God, was comprised of unwashed, really unprepared, and certainly undervalued shepherds. I find that awesome. From a human perspective, the stable lost property value that day when the shepherds showed up, but their arrival made the Lord smile, I'm sure. So let me just nudge you. When you set up your manger scene this year, keep that in mind. Remember that the wise men don't show up for a couple of years, actually, so you got to throw them out of the manger scene. They can't be there. And so who's left? Well, a, ver- a young woman and her young husband and a bunch of unclean, grungy shepherds. That's all that was actually there in the scene. But it reflects the heart of God, I believe. And so there's several other places if we had time this morning, if you packed your luncheon, we could stay right through. Uh, Maybe we could order out from herbs if they were still here. I'm still sad about that. But there's so many places in the scriptures where we see this image come forward about the shepherds. I already alluded to it. What is the most famous psalm everyone knows? Psalm 23. The Lord is who? My shepherd. What a beautiful picture. Just... Just remember the contrast, though, that that would have been in the world in which it was written. And yet God says, I'm not your professor or your therapist or your teacher or your priest, although those are all beautiful pictures of how God interacts with us. No, in Psalm 23, that most beautiful psalm, the Lord says, I am your shepherd. 
Uh, Next slide, if you look into Isaiah chapter 40, another beautiful picture is given to us about the coming of the Messiah. And it says this, Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young The picture of the coming Messiah was that of a shepherd. And if you look back at the last part of the verse before that passage, it actually states, Behold your God. The command that proceeds to to this passage is that people would look at the one who was coming, who was in fact God, and they would see that it is a shepherd that is coming to lead you. But along the way, by action or accident, the soft spot that God has for shepherds was lost upon the people of God and the society as a whole. I mentioned King David brought it back to some prominence for a little while, but let me say this, that Jesus never lost his eye for the shepherd. He never lost his soft spot for them. So turn with me now again to to Luke chapter 10, as I mentioned. And we're going to park here just for a couple minutes, and then I'll draw the connection between what we're up to. But Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read this for you real quick. Luke chapter 10. You know, or sorry, John chapter 10. I apologize. John chapter 10. You, Luke chapter 10 is not going to get us there. John chapter 10. Listen to what it says. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep will follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Hear this general reminder then again of who Jesus says he is. So Jesus in verse 7 again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Here it is, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Verse 13, he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, he says again. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. i got to say this morning that I love 
this image that Jesus leans into, because let's be honest, the next slide, we all, like sheep, have gone astray, right? We are all like sheep among wolves. We need a gentle, powerful, kind, strong, and focused shepherd to lead us. Every day I need to hear his voice so I know which way to go. And the picture of the pastor, actually, that Paul presents to us in Ephesians chapter 4 is that of a shepherd. Again, that image is so beautifully given to us in the New Testament. So you might be thinking at this point, what's up with shepherds? Like, what's the deal? Why are we focused on shepherds? You're supposed to be doing a ministry to truckers. What's the deal with that? Well, let me tell you and why I want to focus on it just for a couple more minutes this morning. Why focus on what the world calls worthless? Why focus on what the world calls worthless? Well, because it paints for me a picture of how God might still want to be revealing himself in a mighty way to another group that has become undervalued and in some cases seen as less than. Consider what shepherds do. They effectively tend to the animal's safety and needs. They get them where they need to go for sale or pasture or even to be used for worship. Shepherds don't get to stay home in bad weather. They deal with aggressive animals, thieves, and whatever else may come against the sheep. The shepherds weren't found in nice houses and easy places, but they were outside of the city walls. They walked on the pathways, and they traveled in the rough places. Who might be like a shepherd in our society today? Where might there be a parallel Who delivers the goods and keeps it safe along the way? Who deals with weather and whatever the road brings along the way? Who is largely unrespected and underappreciated? Who who once was highly valued and respected, but maybe not so much anymore? I think this morning that there are a lot of similarities between truckers and shepherds. You see, truckers' sole purpose is to safely get the product from point A to point B no matter what they face along the way. And they do so largely removed from normal society. Most that I meet, specifically the long haul truckers, are so very detached from normal life and society by necessity of their profession. And many that I deal with aren't finding church to have a place for them. Certainly no place to safely park anyway. Many that I deal with are so very, very broken and hurting and not on the radar of a lot of our churches across the country. Let me give you a couple quick stats. In Canada, there are approximately 350,000 truckers. Okay. By comparison, there are, in 2022, there were 70,566 police officers in Canada. By the way, I used to be with the OPP, and I police this area. So if all through this message you're looking and thinking, he looks familiar, let me just say this, it was your fault. Okay? Clearly, if we met before, it's something you did. Okay? In Canada, there are approximately 68,000 active military personnel and 27,000 reserve personnel. I was one of those up until last summer. Okay, just by comparison, think of this in a bigger picture. In the USA, there are over three and a half million truckers. Can I say that most are lost? Most are headed, well, literally. I mean, I tend to text home when I'm driving my truck. You can put the next slide up. I'll I'll send a message home to, to my family saying, days without a wrong turn 
reset to zero as I'm stuck in some neighborhood driving that truck. But most truckers, though, not just literally, but spiritually are lost. Many are hurting. Uh, many are very, very separate from God's love and heading to an eternity apart from God's love. Many that I meet are struggling with addictions of many different kinds. Many are experiencing significant relationship and financial struggles, intense struggles. And many, like I mentioned before, don't find a place in the church. Let me ask you, how do you disciple a shepherd, <laughs> right? Who do you leave the sheep with during the Bible study or Sunday morning church? Where do you park your semi on Sunday morning might be the relevant 21st century question. How do you find a trucker-friendly church when you end up far from home on Sunday morning? Uh, I've never seen a sign on the door of a church that says trucker-friendly, although in the neighborhoods all around I see no trucks allowed. How do they get to church? And when you park at the end of your 15-hour day, which is what the average trucker day is, how do you connect with other believers if you are a Christ follower? How do you connect if you want fellowship, if you're stuck in some truck stop out of the middle of nowhere, or worse still on the side of the highway trying to do your 36-hour reset? Can I say that attending a midweek Bible study or small group is a challenge when your work week is 70 hours, which is what the legal limit is in Ontario? How do you connect with a church? How do you connect with a small group? How do you grow in your faith? And how do we care for the families of these truckers who are hurting too? How do they find spaces and places to grow in our midst? So this is the burden that God has laid on my heart. Let me tell you real quickly, um, whenever a pastor says real quickly, you know that that means absolutely nothing. So I've got way more notes, but uh, I, I, will, I will try and wrap this up fairly quickly. How do, you, how, do we, how do you reach these people? That's the mission that we're set to do. Let me just share with you, uh, this ministry that we've started is called Power Serve. I don't like the name, but it was a trucker who told me to call it that, so I said, okay. So we've called it Power Serve Ministries. All right, here's our mission statement. The mission is to engage with truckers right where they are so that many would become fully committed, connected, and equipped disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and that they might become fully alive. That's what we're trying to do. But here, the second part, I think it's important. I believe that the local church is the hope of the world and cannot be replaced by any parachurch ministry. The goal of PowerServe is to create tools that can ultimately lead truckers to connect in meaningful ways with the body of Christ, and particularly with the local church. That's what we're trying to do. So let me ask you a couple questions just as we close. What would happen if God released a revival in the trucker community? 350,000 in Canada, three and a half million in the United States. Can you imagine a larger group of people to reach? And if they took the gospel with them everywhere they go, what would happen? What if they prayed as they went? Hopefully, eyes open, that would be helpful. But what if as they crisscrossed the continent, they were praying as they went? What if they viewed the cab of their truck as a sanctuary where they could cry out to God and listen to the Spirit and then pray as they travel? What would happen? What would happen if they reached out to people everywhere they stopped? When they pulled into a truck stop, when they pulled up to a loading dock, 
when they stop wherever. I got to tell you a quick side story, not in my notes, but one day I was driving out the security gate at the Loblaws Distribution Center in Cornwall. And if you look closely at the picture, you'll see there's two license plates on the front of my truck. One of them says John 3.16, and as I was pulling through the security gate, this very large Eastern European man came out, the security guard, and he walked up to me and he said, is this your truck? And I said, yes, this is my truck. And he, he said, is that your license plate on the truck? And I said, that one, the John 3.16? I said, yeah, that's my license plate. And I looked at him and I said, do you love Jesus? And he goes, yes, I love Jesus. <laughs> right? So but what would happen if that was happening all over the place? If everywhere they went, they were taking Christ with them. Truckers love to say this little expression, if you bought it, it came by truck. So what about the gospel? Why couldn't it come by truck too? I believe that Jesus has a soft spot for the broken. As your pastor said, for the marginalized, for those living out in the fields, literally and figuratively. You see, there's a picture in Luke 14 of a great banquet that the busy and important people had no time to attend. And the man who threw the banquet, who had been snubbed by the the hoity-toities, by the celebrities, by the who's who, turned to the outcasts then and invited all of them. And when there was still room, he went to another group, another rung down the ladder, and invited those who were really removed from the who's who of the zoo list. I think he might have even invited some shepherds too. Today, he likely would post an invitation in the local truck stop. There is, to my knowledge, nothing written about any of the shepherds from the day of the birth announcement of Jesus. I don't hear about them anywhere else in Scripture, what happened in their lives, but I guarantee that they were forever changed because of the revelation that had been given to them. If we could see ourselves as God sees us, if truckers could see themselves as God sees them, sinful, broken, in need of a Savior, in need of the cross, in need of new life, but also infinitely valuable in those who bear his image. What would happen if that happened? So you might be asking two things. Number one, when is he going to close? I'm going to close now. Number two, what do we do? Maybe you're thinking this morning, what do we do? Well, let me just give you a couple of ideas. Number one, if you would commit to pray for these precious and broken brothers and sisters. Pray that those who haven't found the Good Shepherd would be found by him. Pray that those who have met him that are trying to live out their faith would live out their faith in a very hard place. So pray. Pray for opportunities for us to reach out, but also consider what you could do in your world. Let me give you a couple of ideas and And I won't make eye contact with the pastor because he might have to deal with you some on this afterwards. But let me just suggest a couple things. What would happen if instead of getting angry that there are so many trucks on the road slowing you down, what if you committed to praying for them as you pass them or as we pass you and ask God for a chance to share his love with them? Maybe as they pass you or as you finally get to pass them, maybe the hand sign you give them could be this instead of something else that I see every day. Every time I see a truck on the side of the road with the hood up and the reflectors out, I pray for that driver. 
I know the bill that's coming for that driver. <laughs> I pray for them. Maybe you could too. And really important, and this is maybe most important, consider how this church could become more trucker-friendly. I dream of a network of churches across North America where truckers could park for the night. And if they took a church up on the offer to maybe fit into a truckers-only parking spot, maybe they would do that, and maybe they would do it knowing that in the morning there might be a knock on their door, and someone who loves Jesus might hand them a cup of coffee and say, hey, we just are thankful for who you are, and we're praying for you. And maybe, maybe people would come to Christ in church parking lots as they were safe and secure parked there overnight. Maybe they would even hear the gospel message when they just came for a safe place to park. But let me just say this, and I honestly close with this. Whatever God calls you to do, please remember that he still sees the outcast, the lonely, the lost. And he has a seat at the banquet table waiting for them, just like yours was waiting for you. Let me pray and invite the worship team to come back up. Would you just bow and pray with me? God, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for the feeling, the immediate feeling that we received as we came in, that there is love here and there's a passion for the gospel here and there's a belief in the power of God here and there is real community here. And so God, I pray that you would move in this place, that you would bless the leadership and that you would just give vision. And God, if something that I've said has sparked something, I pray that there would be something that would happen that would glorify you. Thank you that you are the good shepherd. You're the great shepherd that gets us safely home. And so may that just be the fruit that continues to grow in this place. And I thank you for the chance to be here in Jesus' name. Amen.